Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy, and with me is a man who goes by the name of Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we have a lot of things to talk to you about this week, including some new cars, uh, some electric, and some very much not electric. So uh, why don't we get to it, Ben? What do you think? That sounds good. I mean, we've been away for a couple of weeks, and by we, I mean Sammy. Um, he had to go somewhere far, far away from North America, and so we weren't able to podcast, but now we are. That's true. But before I get to that trip, I would love to ask you. You see, I've got this thing on my mind. I want a vehicle. But I don't like uh, filling it up with uh, with gas, and I want to be limited to you know about 300 miles per uh, per trip before I you know have to stop driving it for a significant period of time. Do you think you can help me out by uh, by find, pointing me in the direction of a car that might be interesting? And have you driven such a car? I I can't help you out with the 300 mile thing because I don't think anyone other than Tesla is offering that right now. But I did drive very recently the uh, Chevrolet Bolt which is the latest and greatest electric car to come from General Motors. And the, the thing that's most interesting about the Bolt, well, there's two things that are interesting specifically. One, it's affordable. Um, I believe in the, in the U.S. it starts at thirty-seven dollars or $35,000, uh, right around there. Mm-hmm. And the other interesting thing is it claims to offer 238 miles of range per charge, which is a huge leap over any other electric car on the market right now. Especially if it does, in that price range, right? In that, well, especially in that, it doesn't even matter in that price range. The only vehicles that come close to that are, are have a Tesla badge on them. So basically, you have Tesla, you have the Bolt, and then you have everyone else: the 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 the, the Nissan Leaf, the Ford Focus Electric, the uh, Ionic Electric, which I drove again a couple weeks ago. All of those I'm, are. I'm, wait, hold up, hold up. What did you just call that Hyundai? The Ionic Electric. Okay, because a podcast from two weeks ago, you called it something very different. Well, you know what? I'm a constantly evolving human being, Sammy, so try to keep up. Okay, cool. I'm down with it. Let's get back to this Bolt, though. So all of those all those other cars, every single other electric car pretty much limits you to 100 miles. Or maybe, if you're lucky, 110, maybe 120. But the Bolt is claiming 238. And why that's important is because it means you don't just have to drive it around the city anymore. You could actually, I mean, up here in Canada, cities are far away uh, from each other. In the States, it's it's a similar story. It's not like Europe where you can just go next door and you're in yet another beautiful capital. Um, you're going to have to drive, and you're going to have to drive a fair distance. And the Bolt allows you to actually do that. Or so I thought, Sammy. Ooh. Is, are we about to get a personal anecdote? Well, yes and no, because I had a good experience with the Bolt. But I did not have the as-advertised experience with the Bolt. And a part of that has to do with how the vehicle was prepared before I picked it up. And part of that has to do with the weather where I live. So when I got the Volt, um, sorry, the Bolt. Oh, this is going to get dangerous. Yeah, it is going to get a little bit confusing. Well, it's, So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compact hatchback. It's a uh, decent size. There's enough room inside for everybody. I, I wanted to take a road trip. For everybody. For everybody, I mean, if you're, t- I had tall people in the back seat, tall, <laughs> large people, and no issues. It's it's quite comfortable. Okay, um, cool. And uh, but I just mentioned that because sometimes you say compact, and people are like, oh, it's another mini car that's like totally impractical. But that's like not the I, case. Like a Mitsubishi i Eve or like a yeah, which is which is which is garbage. And this is this is not that <laughs> at all. So um, I picked up the car with the intention of doing a road trip to my parents' house. And my parents live about. 170 kilometers, so that's just over 100 miles outside of Montreal. Mm-hmm. And it was it was my birthday, and I was bringing some friends down with me. 
And when I picked up the the bolt a couple of days beforehand, I was a little weary because le leery of it because the charge meter was showing me that I had 168 miles of range. Ooh, two miles short of your trip to your parents' place. Two miles short, but more importantly, way way short of 238. Of course, yeah. Because I what? To mention the more important <laughs> the more important detail that the car was advertised with over 200 miles of range. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you know, when you whenever you set up somewhere, you want to make sure that you have a little bit of a uh, a little bit of range in your pocket, so in case something goes wrong, or in case the the and 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 I might add that that's the most optimistic readout because you get three with the bolt you have what I, I assume is the normal driving readout in the middle you have the minimum amount of range that you'll get at the bottom even if you just hammer the throttle the whole time sorry throttle the accelerator the and pedal. then at the top yeah the go at the pedal at the top you have the maximum where if everything goes right and like you know the gods shine their beatific smile down upon you and there's a wind at your back you'll get that range Okay. So that was the maximum range I was showing was 168 miles. So th obviously that won't do. It'll get me there, but uh, it won't get me there and back, which is kind of what I was hoping. So anyway, over the course of the few days that I had it before leaving, I tried to charge it to get it past that point, and I could never do it. It just I, I had it connected to to fast chargers. I had it connected to 240 volts. I had it connected to 110 household outlets. Everything just kept spiking at that same point. Hold up, we've got to stop for a second. But you mean you 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 were trying to charge? Did the car reach 100% of a charge? Yeah, it it, it well. And you kept trying to charge it. You're like, I left it on. Go 110. Well, so what I thought was maybe the person who driven the car before me, because the vehicle had come to me from a driving program, and I was the first journalist to get it. So it's possible that whoever had driven it before me had driven it in such a way that made the range. Um, not so optimistic like maybe they had been constantly flooring the pedal so anyway i, I kept hoping that would change it didn't change Eesh. so I, I took the trip i got down there fine i had about 50 miles of range left How, okay and, so wait hold on i mean you're telling me the, the thing said 168 but you still had 50 in its most optimistic mode or yeah. when it was the mo it was it, it was it was it was like this is going to work out um and it worked out 50 miles range so you actually did have over 200 no, 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 because it's 110 miles. The trip was 110 miles, dude. Oh, I thought you said 170. No, 100. It, it's 170 kilometers, which oh, is 110 miles. Oh, yeah. my mistake. Well. So, <laughs> so I got there, and uh, there's one charging station in town. And um, the speed of that charging station was not great. It took me five hours to get back to about 150 miles of range, which is what I was comfortable leaving with. I, I went and checked on it. It's using the something called Circuit Electrique, which is the electric circuit here in Quebec. It's a it's a province-wide charging uh, network. It's and definitely easy to confuse it with the electric circuits. That's an Ontario thing that that no one remembers. I remember. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but uh, I was what disappointed me was how long it took to charge it. Uh, the, I guess not all of the. Um, charging stations on the the electric circuit are all that quick I, I went and checked on it after after three and a half hours and it still wasn't anywhere close to being ready for what I needed so I went back five hours after five hours and I was confident enough I still was at I was about three quarter battery and I managed to get home um, but uh, it turns out that the there, there were a combination of factors that kept the bolt from charging fully one of them is that the car was set into something called hilltop reserve mode which is designed to to charge the battery only to 90% of its capacity because some people who buy the car live at the top of hills and if the battery's at 100% and they leave the hill 
they won't be able to use the regen. The regen won't send any electricity into the battery. So it keeps a little bit of battery empty for them to charge for free as they coast down their hill. A this little is, bit, 10%. I know. It's it's also a very, very specific functionality. It's super niche. Yeah. As if the car wasn't niche enough. But the reason the reason why it was set up is because GM's still getting used to these cars. Uh, the dealers haven't been trained. The PR people are still getting used to it. So no one was aware of that when I picked up the car. It was only after talking to some of the engineers and trying to figure out why I couldn't charge the car that uh, this was fixed. But the journalist who had the vehicle after me he he the mode was fixed for him and he was planning on taking a much longer trip unfortunately he could only get another 10 miles into the battery even with that mode changed so you're still at 40 miles underneath at least the advertised uh, level if not 50 miles and the only thing i can think of is it was the temperature because i was hovering right around the freezing point just above just below it wasn't very cold but it also wasn't warm and that had a big effect on how much charge you could put into the bolt Crazy. So you know, uh, somewhere... how how do they how do they expect people to know that? Well, I think everyone expects that batteries are affected by temperature, but I don't think they expect that to much that of an, de- yeah that, that much degree. Of an effect. Like I lost fifty miles from the range, which is significant. I mean, still the trip that I took, I would not have been able to do in the Ionic the week before. Mm-hmm. The the electric vehicle I had the week before it would have been impossible. I would have had to have stopped well before reaching my destination and charged up and then done the same thing coming home. So okay. the Bolt is is it's head and shoulders ahead of still every other vehicle out there that's using a battery. And if you think about it, the Ionic also would have suffered from the same type of battery issue. I don't yeah, know the, how the, dr- the 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 weather would still have an effect on. Yeah, right? who, who knows how dramatic it would be, but it still would have been a problem. How but, significantly um, different of the temperature was between the two the two vehicles? Do you recall? Well, I didn't take the Ionic on a, on a long trip because it's a city vehicle, in my opinion. If you if you can't do more than 100 miles, I'm not going to drive over that um, and sit for four hours while I wait for the vehicle to charge up. I mean, that's absurd. So what? I, Everyone has four hours. You should have called me. We would have talked for four hours. <laughs> well, it, it's it it just everything else about the Bolt. I mean, it's very quick. Um, it spun the tires at at 60 kilometers an hour, so like it's 40 miles an hour. Um, on the cold pavement, it was if if you floor it, it's it's got a lot of guts. It uh, didn't do anything weird, like it didn't have any unusual functionality while I was driving. There were no glitches. Um, everything it functioned as advertised, aside from the range, mm-hmm. and it was comfortable. Um, yeah, on a longer trip uh, for three people. How do you like so, the steering? And uh, I quite like the shape of it. I mean, it's super easy to see out of. Um, I don't know about the styling. It's cool, but. You know what I mean? Like as an as an overall vehicle, it's it's solid, right? Yeah, definitely. It's very very real. Mm-hmm. What did you have that funky mirror? What do you mean by the funky mirror? You know the funky mirror that with all the funk happening. Uh, uh, the, the the rear view mirror camera. No, I did not have that. Okay, all right. Well, I that, didn't know we'll that was available. Up. I didn't know that was available with the Bolt. Yeah, it is. It's the only other vehicle other than a Cadillac that you can get it with, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Anyways, we'll talk about that another time. Um, what do you think? You think people are going to like this thing or it's just not? I mean, I will tell you what I think about electric vehicles, in, especially in Canada and cold weather areas and areas where the cities are so far apart. I don't think it's a, I don't think they're a practical vehicle for people like us. Do you agree well, with I, that? I think that the technology is going to get better. Okay. 
Uh, I think that the Bolt is practical. I think even 168 miles of range is really decent. Um, uh, it's 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 50 ahead of you know pretty much everyone else, and in the winter, I, I guess you'd have to deal with the with the depletion. Um, people will say, oh, gas cars are less efficient in the winter too. Yes, but you can still fill up with fuel relatively quickly. So I feel like that kind of wipes that argument out. But uh, I, I, I'm very, very curious to see if my experience is the only experience like this or if we're going to get res reports from other Bolt owners over time that confirm that it's an issue with the car. And I'm going to be curious to see how GM deals with um, customer expectations from people who maybe weren't familiar with how temperature can affect battery. Interesting. Um, and what do you think of the pricing? Solid? Yeah, I think it is. If you live somewhere where there's incentives, you can subtract maybe 10 grand off the car, if, mm -hmm. if not more. Uh, it's more expensive than the Ionic, but you're getting a lot more car. I, I like the Ionic electric. It's a good car, but it's not in the same class. Uh, in my opinion, EVs are all about range. Range is the single most important thing when people are buying the car, and then it's price. So the range has to fit into their lifestyle. And if a city car lifestyle is what you want from a car, that's cool. You can get a more affordable vehicle than the Bolt. But if you want something that's an all-around car, the Bolt is your only choice if you're looking for something affordable. The Model 3 doesn't exist. It's not real. And we don't know when it's coming. So until that happens, you're, you're in Bolt land. Okay, well, don't uh, – well, you're, you're exaggerating the Model 3 thing, the Tesla Model 3. Am it's I? supposed to be here – soon uh, yeah in well they, they they had They've, the they have in this august they, re they have this release candidate thing that's going around they say it's uh, it's pretty much finished but we'll yeah, have to learn I, more about it this is a company that has never met a delivery date so i don't believe anything they say when it comes to pr okay um i do you mind if i jump to if we jump to um my car and then we can jump back to another one of yours yeah let's you, just totally do that well, I mean, I, I think you we came up to a very good uh, understanding on your on your wonderful little Bolt experience. Um, and you're right. I think um, the Model S is 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 successful Model because it, no, no, the Model S is very ah. successful because or popular because it has such ex excellent range and the price is a secondary is, is almost secondary or tertiary to um, owners. What do you think? Am I wrong? It seems like I see them everywhere. And the owners are quite proud of them. Yeah, more so more, than more so than Leafs. Well, they're they're more lifestyle accessories than anything else. I mean, it's it's a luxury product, but the Bolt is not a luxury product, so it's it has to appeal to a different customer and it has to do that in a different way. All right, cool. Thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that, there, Ben. <laughs> um, I drove a Audi RS3, which is a, a new sub. Uh, I mean, entry level sport car for the the brand. Uh, at least new to us, they have an RS3 in European markets, uh, but this is the first time we're seeing it. Um, what do you want to know about this thing? This is a kind of, uh, It was very bright and green, so it was very much like the Bolt in that case. But are we getting that green in North America? It's an exclusive, um, an Audi exclusive range uh, color. So I don't know if you know what Audi exclusive is. It basically um, for some of the higher end vehicles, kind of like. Uh, the way Rolls-Royce or Bentley would offer you any color you choose, uh, you just come to them with a swatch and they'll they'll make the color in that they'll make the car in that color. Um, this car is going to be offered with that service. It's the I think it's the most accessible version of this exclusive service, which is a really funny way of describing it. <laughs> um, the car is really slick. Uh, it uses a five-cylinder turbocharged engine that makes 400 horsepower. Um, 
it's quick, man. It does zero to 62 in, in 4.1 seconds. Uh, it has a really fast seven speed dual clutch transmission. Um, and the pricing in Canada at least is uh, 62,900 dollars, and the U.S. should be around sixty thousand dollars as well. Um, and it was it was a really exciting uh, experience in this vehicle. It was very fast, um, and I got to do it all in the Middle East in uh, Salala, Oman. Well, that's pretty is, interesting. I've never been to the Middle East. You've never been to the Middle East? Well, you should come. It's very cool, or you should go. I've been there a couple of times, but uh, and there's a really strong. Uh, car enthusiast um, community there. And uh, let me tell you, in this bright green Audi, people were definitely uh, noticing it. And how much more um, is the RS3 compared to the S3? It feels like it's a significant chunk of money uh, more. I mean, I'll take a quick look at the Audi S3 pricing, but I definitely don't know if I feel comfortable with with a $60,000 version of the cheapest... Um, Audi product, Audi sedan. Well, I mean, Mercedes built the CLA 45 AMG, right? And that was, what, $60,000 as well? It's a little bit cheaper, actually. It starts a tiny bit cheaper. Um, a CLA 45 will come in, I think, at around the same around the same price as a um, an S3. So, really? Because didn't they have, like, a weird launch edition that was super expensive? Yes, the weird launch edition was definitely expensive. Okay, maybe that's what um, I was thinking of. The S3 starts at 46, uh, six in Canada, so about fifteen thousand dollars cheaper than an RS3. So how much more horsepower is it? And I believe the S3 has 290 horsepower, while this one has 400. So 110. Yeah, that's that's a sizable difference. And and does it does it have to pull power in any gear? Um, is it does it limit the ECU limit the power off the line? How how does it manage all that power in in that same platform? Uh, this is the similar. This is the same thing as an Audi TTRS. Uh, I mean, in terms of platform, it didn't feel like it was holding back anything. Um, they even told us to do launch control, um, and we pushed it well beyond what we should have uh, on some of the back roads of, of Oman, which was a lot of fun. Um, one of the weird things about Audis, can you can you agree with me if I told you that an Audi Sport product was not the most engaging vehicle? Um, or fun to drive vehicle. They're kind of sterile in this um, in this way of driving. They're very fast. They're very planted, but um, sometimes they can understeer, which is which is to say they're kind of front heavy. Well, and I think it's it's it depends on the platform because the one that the the S3 is based on and the RS3, it's a transversely mounted engine in a front wheel drive platform that has an all wheel drive system added to it. So I think that it is natural in that situation where you would notice some understeer. But in this case, they seem to have made, they seem to have noticed that, and they offer the vehicle with a different tire setup, which allows it to have really sharp turn in and uh, and a bit more of a loose rear end. So you might know this as a staggered tire uh, tire setup, um, and that usually means that the front and rear wheels uh, have a different uh, width. Um, but in most cases, I think. We know it's more commonly found that the rear tires will be wider than the front tires. Would you agree with me on that? Well, yeah, but that if you do that, you're going to get understeer as well. Yeah, you're going to get, uh, but you will get more traction in the in the rear, wouldn't you? Yes. Yes, but that's why you get understeer. So instead, <laughs> the RS3 features um, wider tires up front and thinner tires in the back, which uh, which helped it feel a little bit looser in the in the rear end, and it made the car feel much more fun. Um, 
than what I had imagined the car to be. And that's an option, right? That's not, that that's is not out of the box. Yeah. And I also learned that this is, I remember I mentioned that uh, this car was available in a, in a previous generation in other markets. This, we, this tire option was also available then as well. And I believe the previous generation RS3 was a five cylinder, was it not? Yeah, they're both fine. Both, this they're one's both, a five oh, cylinder. It's still well. a five cylinder now, yeah. okay. Um, in addition to that, um, there's only one, I believe there's one other car that people recognize as having this uh, wider front track than the rear track, and that would be the 2005 uh, Pontiac Grand Prix GXP. <laughs> Which, uh, there you go, the Audi RS3 and this Pontiac have something in common. Neat, huh? I would, you know, this is kind of a tangent, but when I was younger, like much younger, I was really into the Grand Prix. Not that, genera- not that generation, but the one before it. Yeah, that those, sleeker one. That the really sexy, like... curvy lines that it had. Hell there yeah. was nothing else like it from GM. I mean, you put that beside a Monte Carlo or or, a, or an Impala or whatever, and it, it just made it look plain. Um, I, I always thought it was a, a really good-looking car, and I, I didn't really know much about cars at that time in my life. Like, I knew enough to be to be wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> um, but I, I, I liked it. I actually liked it more as a four-door than a coupe, too. I, I don't know why. I just thought the lines were more pleasing. Um, I agree with you. I think that that was a really cool car. But back to this Audi, another uh, another interesting design feature is that the standard suspension setup is magna magna ride essentially magnetic ride suspension, um, while the optional sports suspension is a more fixed setup, which I found also very an interesting uh, you know sort of decision planning product planning decision by by Audi. Um, we had the chance to drive both of them. The the sport one was extremely stiff, um, while the Magna ride, the standard, the magnetic ride suspension was far more um, compliant, easier to easier to live with. Yeah, and it's it's probably you know you can only I guess they have to tune the Magna ride across a much wider range of uh, possibilities, mm-hmm. just in terms of the, they need it to be soft and they need it to be stiff. So it might limit what they can do uh, in terms of dynamics. Whereas if they if they have a single spec then they can do whatever they want because they know the customer who's buying that isn't probably isn't going to complain when it jars their feelings out. <laughs> um, and that's this is the most interesting part about the the cars is um, when you think about the customer, what type of person would be really interested in having a vehicle that's this size, um, is this powerful, and this kind? Of, I I honestly think it's a bit expensive. Is that too much? Am I am I out of my mind to think that this car starting at sixty two thousand uh, dollars Canadian? Um, sounds a little expensive for a compact car that shares the same platform as a Volkswagen Golf. Um, although on the other hand, I just mentioned the TTRS, so that's also a pretty cool car. Well, well, how much does it does it cost in the U.S.? Uh, sixty thousand dollars, around sixty thousand oh, dollars. So there's almost no difference then. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, to put it in perspective, the, it, though, if you're if you're going to compare it, like I said, it has the same platform and engine powertrain as a TTRS, and that's a car that costs. Uh, like $75,000 Canadian? Well, Let's a TTRS is also a much more stylish car that doesn't really have a back seat. So um, it's, I, I feel like you know they're different buyers. Okay. Well, I'm just saying you're getting like a very similar uh, end product with the exception of the stylish uh, version of the car and one, more, one being more practical. I don't know. You know, it's something. It's a car that you have to really want. I don't think Audi has any illusions they're going to do any volume. I don't think they do volume with any of their RSs. Maybe the RS7, that would kind of strike me as the, their their most volume of the of the group. 
I don't know why I feel that way. <laughs> but uh, it, it's these these cars are they're Halo cars. They're designed to attract eyeballs and get people excited, and then they come in and they buy an S, uh, an A3 or an S3. You know, it's a uh, it's a it's a fishing lure, and it's it's good at its job. That's crazy. The RS7 starts at twice the price of this RS3, uh, which itself starts at almost twice the price of a regular A3. So I just think the, the pricing is crazy. But you know what? I want to talk about the segment of vehicle, which is these really small, fun-to-drive vehicles. And you mentioned the CLA 45 AMG from Mercedes, um, which, is a pr- which is a pretty fun car for the, for the drivetrain. But I don't recommend it for any anything else. I think it's uh, a little too stiff, uh, very impractical, um, and kind of cheap on the inside. Um, but in comparison, I really love the M2, which is considered to be in that same class, although it only has two doors instead of four. What do you think? Well, I think we're talking about three very different vehicles. I mean, like you said, the M2 is a coupe. Mm-hmm. The CLA is that weird hatchback sedan design that makes the back seat, you know, not all that comfortable for anyone. Whereas the S3 and RS3 is a sedan. It's a straight-up sedan with with a fairly usable backseat for, you know, standard-sized human being. Um, I, I think that these are all comp- – I, I don't know if it's so much a a segment that's defined by anything other than performance and, and price. And you have a lot of options there. Uh, there's always going to be a few customers who are going to want the best of X, whatever X happens to be. Okay. And if they can affordably build the best of X and then charge a whole crap ton of money for it, then they're going to do that. And I think that that's why we get these vehicles. And uh, I do think that when you're looking at that, those three cars from three very popular companies that make these performance cars, and I know you said they're three different types of vehicles. I think the RS3 fit, ends up being the the one that fits all like the most amount of bills that hits the most amount of bullseyes. Of course. Uh, And I think the S three was like that to begin with. I think if you were even just looking at that vehicle, it's uh, it's, it's a, it's the most practical of the group. But Ben, if it was my money, if I had that much money to spend on one of these three vehicles, it would end up being the M two only for one reason. And that's the the manual manual transmission, the manual transmission. Uh, And you agree with me on that. I guess if you're going to be an enthusiast, I've actually driven, I've driven a manual S three. Okay. And how was it? And how was it? It was cool. Okay. I mean, I would, but, um, you can't buy it here. Yeah. And you can, you also can't get this car in that, uh, neato body style that you can get in Europe, which is this, um, they call it a sport back, but it's definitely like a hatchback, right? Um, we can't get that unless you get an A3 e-tron, which is a very limited vehicle. Yeah. Uh, Again, the, uh, the most niche of buyers, I think. Yeah. I will, I'll, I'll go on a tangent now and, and talk about my trip in Oman, which is fantastic. Uh, Oman, especially Salala, was uh, one of the prettiest places I've ever been. Um, and if you've never really been to some of these places in the Middle East, uh, Qatar, um, UAE, or, or Oman, you should consider uh, going uh, for a vacation. It's, it's beautiful. We saw, we, we saw gorgeous deserts, um, wonderful like seas there. And uh, the food was great too. I'm a big fan of hummus. I mean, I have my own special recipe for my hummus, but they uh, they Ew. kept up they kept up pretty well. 
<laughs> um, maybe it maybe if you keep listening to the podcast over time, Sammy will drop hints as to what you need to do to copy his special hummus recipe. I've actually been saying something at the end of each podcast. Um, one one item from the from the recipe. So you've got to. I've got been to put saying something. I, what I say at the end of each podcast is a clue to where my captors have been keeping me over all of these weeks. <laughs> yes, uh, it it is a quite it's a fun augmented reality game we're playing with our audience. Oh, and here comes the cattle prod. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, speaking of cattle prods, these cars, uh, we ended up encountering a lot of cattle and uh, actual actual camels on the road um, that did not give a care about being in the middle of the road. Um, and they're huge animals. They are massive. Majestic, uh, even. Majestic animals. I don't know about that, but um, they were just big, big creatures. Um, and they didn't care at all for these uh, RS3s that are making all sorts of noise and going quite fast. Um, and it was quite interesting. You can go through some of these switchbacks and suddenly there's just these like a herd of camels in the middle of the road. And you have to slam the brakes and um, and work, weave your way through them. Well, what's the speed limit I'm on? It's uh, 100 kilometers an hour most most of the time. And is it like enforced? It, up, up in the mountains where we were, we didn't see a single police officer. At all. And it was very remote, extremely remote up in the mountains. Um, we would only see working like working trucks, like 18-wheelers carrying all sorts of you know supplies for uh, whatever developments up there. Um, and uh, very few locals. Um, up in the mountains get a great view of, of Oman and um, the area around it. But that was it. It was, it was really cool. Uh, I also wanted to mention that I had... Uh, during the event, um, the Audi Sport CEO dropped by and uh, and, ha- and joined us for dinner, and he was a really engaging guy to talk to. Um, his name is Stefan Winkleman, and uh, he. I, to, I've met Mr. Winkleman. He is a very engaging man. And he used to uh, run Lamborghini, which is uh, an interesting change for him now at Audi Sport. And he is an extremely approachable guy, especially for someone who who is as well dressed as he is and as well spoken as he is, and and seems to be at a very high position in these car in these automakers um and he shared some really interesting tidbits uh i helped him figure out what the food were we, we were eating because it was middle eastern food that we were having uh he didn't know what this one meal was which was uh kibbe he described it as falafel but with meat which can't be done it's kibbe and uh and the other one was hummus and baba ganoush so that was that was cool but he also explained what his first car was and can you can you can you hazard a guess uh, i'm gonna say it was a chevette Nope, that is a terrible guess. Um, <laughs> he grew up in Rome, um, and so his oh, first, it's a five, five, Fiat 500. A 500L, he made sure to point out to us, which is the slightly more upscale version of the car. He said it was his mom's ride, um, which was the funny, you know, the joke upon, among all every one of us. Uh, I mean, who didn't drive their parents' car uh, when they were learning how to drive? Even this guy, uh, who is now the CEO of Audi Sport and formerly the CEO of Lamborghini, started just like every one of us um, driving their parents' tiny little subcompact uh, around I, town. I drove, I drove my mom's Pontiac Transport. Nice. Okay. That was my, that was my ride. A, that's a van, right? That's a really it is a van. It was van, a teal, right? it was a teal colored van. Ooh, super nineties or yeah, super nineties. It sounds super nineties. <laughs> I had an Elantra. Uh, that was my first ride, a Hyundai Elantra. Uh, just when they were coming up, uh, coming up big. Um, and then his first owned car, the car that he bought with his own money was a Fiat Uno, which, upon looking at photos of these things, he did not want us to see what this was. <laughs> it's a, it looks like a very uh, um, 
entry-level vehicle from grim Italy. times for fiat <laughs> yes uh so it was a it was a really fun entertaining uh conversation to have with him um and uh and i want to put a lot of emphasis on on what a great host he was um which is weird i honestly think sometimes you spend some time with these uh, ceos and they're just doing lip service they want to be there um because they have to and he seemed like a genuine guy who wanted to talk cars uh and talk about life and uh and that's cool i think that's kind of rare well, plus he got to be in Oman. Yeah, and he gets to go. Yeah, he gets to be there as well. Uh, following Oman, I went on a small vacation, a short vacation to um, Rome in Italy. Uh, I took actually some suggestions from uh, Mr. Winkleman as to where to go, and uh, he mentioned a, a little neighborhood called Trastevere, which was uh, full of these small little um, restaurants, very authentic restaurants, and and it was fantastic. It was a great place to go. Uh, I met my girlfriend in Italy, and uh, we had a really good uh, five days of uh, not worrying about work or cars. Although I ended up taking a photo of a bunch of the old 500s that are still running around on the streets of uh, of Rome, which is pretty cool. So kind of like what you can do with um, the mini, uh, the, the those retro mini Coopers in London, which I mentioned back in January, you can do the same thing in Italy uh, with these 500s. Uh, you can get a, get in a small 500 and take a tour on the of the sites in Italy, which is pretty cool. Would you recommend doing that, or is it like a death trap? Honestly, the roads and the driving style in Italy was really hectic, uh, and the roads were... If I've ever complained about the roads here, um, I don't know what I was talking about. Those roads are... They're, they're cobblestones, they're pothole, they're, they, they're tiny. I mean, it's a, it's a very hectic... Uh, environment, but I switch. I, you know what? If you're a car person and you haven't seen the sights in Rome, I suggest uh, you you combine the two things, the two loves or the two the two objectives, and take this trip or take that uh, take that event. Fair enough. And then and that's all I've got to to share. What about you? You have one more car you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, while you were off having the time of your life, I was uh, still here um, doing my job, and part of that included. <laughs> driving the the new Lincoln Continental. Okay, I've been in this car and I I thought it was full of it, it had some it had its ups and downs. Um, when you say been in, were you a passenger or did you drive it? I drove it. Okay. And I mean I've been driven in it to like at least, you know, for like shuttles to and from an airport. Um but what I, I mean I had some ups and downs and I thought it drove pretty decently and was full of some interesting tech. Um I don't think the the rear seats were accommodating enough to fit the class. I think we had this conversation earlier on in our podcast series. So I would love to hear what your take on this vehicle was. Well, um, I, you know, it was an unusual experience because I got a lot of compliments on how the car looked. Uh, stylistically, people seemed to be drawn to it. People were staring at it, whether that's because it's new or whether because Lincoln's hit upon a, a, a formula that works for them. It's hard to say. Um, the most distinct, the, the car doesn't really have anything about it that's unique. If you look at the other cars in its class, like the the Genesis G90, the Volvo um, v, uh, S90, and um, the Lexus LS, and, and, and of course some of the Europeans as well, Audi, BMW, you, you see a lot of cues that were gathered from the general gist of what people are looking for in a large luxury car and they've kind of been put together on this lincoln which isn't a bad thing i think it's good that 
Um, they've kind of moved away from more polarizing aspects of their styling language. The one unique thing about the car are these door handles that are integrated uh, into the tr window trim line just underneath each window. And instead of pulling on them to open the, the door, there's a little discrete button latch that's mm -hmm. electronic. Mm -hmm. it's, a really, you, you, it's a really cool design cue. When you first see it, you see this vehicle with no door handles on the door. Um, and I think that's kind of neat. But It is neat. It, but what wasn't so neat was they didn't work. Um, what? what? Did you so, not get into the car the entire time you had this exterior review of the car? That's it? So there's no, there's no mechanical backup outside of the driver's door. The driver's door does have a mechanical backup that will get you in. But um, everywhere else, it's push button on the inside, push button on the outside. And uh, midway through my time with the, with the car, the left rear door decided it was not going to open anymore. No matter what I did, no matter how many buttons I pushed on the fob, no matter what buttons I pushed inside the car, I was locked out of the left rear. Wow. It just would not open. And I contacted Ford, mm -hmm. and they said they would have someone look into it, but they had no answer as to what procedure was required. Like, let's say I was, you know, there was a kid in the back, or um, fortunately the other door worked in the back, and the other three doors didn't have any issues. But it's it's not the kind of thing that you want to have happen when there's no other way to get in when it's an all electronic system and it i don't recall why it happened it wasn't you know there was no particular behavior it's just one day it was a saturday afternoon i'd been taking pictures of the car and then that evening i went to use it and nope not gonna open anymore um and i talked to some other journalists who had the same issue Really? Car. Yes. A few months ago, another journalist had had – not this particular car. It was actually in the United States, uh, but it was another Lincoln Continental where they had the door just fail on them, and it would not open. So Ford hasn't gotten back to me with a kind of a breakdown or a diagnosis of what happened, so I'm curious to hear about that. Uh, all new cars have bugs. It's not necessarily the end of the world, but it is kind of a big deal when it's your flagship luxury car. Absolutely. This is not a cheap vehicle. What does this come in at? Like it starts at probably around $60,000? Mine was way over eighty. What? Uh, as as equipped, yes. But it, it does start at, it does start at around sixty. But this one was quite expensive. It, it was f fully loaded. It had the the three liter twin turbo engine with four hundred horsepower. It had all the rear seat package with the very nice center console. I want to say this is the nicest interior I've ever seen in a Lincoln. Mm -hmm. It it's it's incredible. It, it's really 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 upscale. It feels great. The front seats are amazing. Uh, the design and the comfort. There's 30 way adjustability available. I think it's like I think there's a 24 and a 30 uh, way adjustability. You can choose between which which package you want. The only complaint I had about the interior was the touchscreen for the uh, the Sync version the Sync 3 that comes with the car. It was really small um, compared to the competitors. And it, there's a little bit too much chrome bright work uh, on the switch switch gear. Other than that, the interior is fantastic. Uh, Power-wise, it's adequate. It really didn't feel like 400 horsepower. Uh, the acceleration is fine, but you floor it, you expect a little more. I think that's because the car is quite heavy. Mm -hmm. So that negates it a little bit. And the reason it stuck out in my mind is because, to me... The epitome of this segment right now is the Genesis G90. Yeah, and we've raved get, about this car on so many podcasts, right? And yeah, and you can get the G90 with a 3.3-liter twin-turbo engine that I think actually advertises a little less horsepower than the Continental, but feels way more powerful. Uh, I think that's an underrated engine. I don't think they're they're being truthful about how much is being generated under that hood. Um, I think the Lincoln's interior might be flashier than the G90, but when it comes to quality... I think the G90 has it beat by a little bit, um, and uh, it's it's 
I, I just can't help but compare this car to the Genesis. I think the Genesis is really just everything I drive that's in the same price range. I'm still like, you know, the Genesis is better. Mm-hmm. And the, the Continental is, is fine. And I think it's, like I said earlier, the best in a lot of ways that Lincoln has offered us in quite a while. Another vehicle that I really like from Lincoln is the MKC, their entry-level uh, crossover, which I think is another competitive entry. And the MKS is, or sorry, the MKZ, the uh, mid-sized sedan they have is a lot better than it used to be too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, they're, they're, they're gaining momentum, but um, yeah, just not sure where they're going with the brand exactly because not many people are buying big sedans. And uh, it's it's great to have this very impressive car, but how many people are going to park it in their in their driveway? Interesting. There's two things I want to bring up about this car. Uh, first of all, you liked the 30-way adjustable seats, and I found them to be almost too much, infuriating almost. I spent almost too much time trying to suggest, trying to figure out whether or not I was in the perfect seating position. Is that kind of I, weird? I thought they looked really cool. I thought that the way the uh, the cushions and the supports are separate from the seat frame, mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice design design cue. I, I, I like the details inside the, the Continental. That's something that we haven't seen from Lincoln in so long. It just it was clear that the, a lot of effort was put into deciding how everything would look and not just putting stuff somewhere because you had to put it somewhere it was it was a crafted interior okay now i understand what you mean if you're not quite talking exactly the you those those that 30-way adjustability you're talking about the design was yeah really eye-catching i didn't have any comfort issues um but i i'm older and easier to please so (laughs) i think that that has something to do with it as long as it's it's fairly cushioned i'll I'll lie down and take a nap (laughs) and uh, as long as you can get out of the that one door uh, yeah, as long as I'm not sitting in the left rear, I'm okay. The second thing I wanted to bring up is you called this car the Halo car. And I don't want to contradict you, but I do think that maybe the Navigator, it has long... No. Kind of like the way the Escalade has been the flagship vehicle in the Cadillac lineup, I think the Navigator might have that status in the Lincoln uh, lineup. Do you not... You don't agree with me? No, I don't agree with you because very few people buy the Navigator in comparison to the Escalade. And that's it. Do you think that's it? You think more people would buy the Continental? Uh, I'm not saying that necessarily, but I'm saying first of all, there's no comparison of the quality of these two vehicles. The okay. the Navigator yeah. the Navigator is hasn't old... been touched uh, significantly in the way that the Continental has, right? It is a very old platform, and it is a platform that is outdone, in my opinion, by its Ford competitor. Which, or sorry, competitor, I mean sibling, the uh, Expedition. The Expedition is better value. I find it drives better. And you can get almost all of the same features, except for like you know, bridge of weir leather and and the the stuff that you're gonna pay a lot for in the Navigator. The marketing. Maybe you should. <laughs> yeah, the marketing. <laughs> so uh, when you look at the Continental, though, there's no Ford equivalent. It's it's not like you can go over and say, oh, this is just a nicer Taurus, which I think was a criticism that was labeled, or sorry, leveled at the MKS, which is the predecessor is, of this. Of yes. This Continental. And I think a lot of people just said, I'm paying more for a Taurus. Um, why am I doing that? And the platform that's under the Continental, it's, it, I don't believe it's the Taurus platform. I think it's the Fusion platform, the DW4 or D4. I can't remember exactly. You're getting, a, you're getting a, real technical with me. <laughs> well, it's wider and longer. And it's it, anyway, you're not going to find a Ford equivalent. And that's important because when you buy a Cadillac, there's not a single Cadillac that you sit in right now where you say, except maybe the Escalade. Actually, definitely the Escalade. Where you say, oh, there's another GM vehicle that does this better at a lower price. 
Um, it, the the Escalade I think is outdone by the Yukon Denali. I think that's a much better value, in in a lot of ways. I mean the pricing isn't that different, but uh, I just happen to like how it does how it executes the same concept. But in the sedan side, there's I mean you sit down in an XTS. You sit down in a uh, in an ATS. You sit down in a CTS, and you're not like, oh, there's a Chevrolet that I'd rather have, or that that I could save money on and get the same experience. Um, I want to bring up one more thing now that we're on the subject of Lincoln and how it's kind of showing this really strong attention to detail, and that's something called Black Label. Are you aware of what Black Label is? It's a it's a U.S. specific thing that hasn't quite made the way to Canada. It's this exclusive line of Lincoln vehicles. Um, I am aware of what it is, and I think it's a mistake. You don't think they should be doing this, and you don't think it should no. come. So you think Lincoln Canada is okay by them not having this? I don't. I don't understand why Black Label exists. I don't think that Lincoln has the brand cachet to pull off something like Black Label, and I think it positions them in such a way that it, it gets a confusing message for buyers. So you're saying it it ups what is what do you, well. Why don't you explain to people what Black Label is? Because I don't think maybe some people aren't familiar. Black Label is this uh, personalized um, Lincoln uh, offering. So basically, they offer these really interesting um, either swatches of, of interior colors and and materials and um, exterior colors as well. So you can't get them on the regular one. You have to pay extra and get jump up to these Black Label label vehicles. And they also come with um, special services as well, uh, concierge and, uh, and I think maybe something along the lines of like dinners or something like that. I'm not 100% certain. And it's phenomenally expensive. Yeah. It, it adds a significant chunk to the price of the vehicle, but it does, it is a very exclusive experience. And these interiors, I don't know if you've seen them, they're gorgeous, but are they that much better than, um, the base or the, the, the highest non-black label Lincoln interior. I'm not. I, I think sold. it goes be. I think it goes beyond that because I don't think a Lincoln customer is a Mercedes customer. I don't think a Lincoln customer is a BMW customer. So who are they going after with Black Label? Who who who? I don't even think a Lincoln customer is a Cadillac customer at this point. I think that ship sailed quite a long time ago. I think that you're looking at Lincoln as somewhat as a company that's going up against Lexus, Buick, and Acura. Okay. That's, a, that's I, a, those, Lexus is the toughest one of those of those three automakers you just mentioned, and Buick has been on the come up for a long time. Uh, yes, and I don't know if Lincoln quite has the the foundation in place to really to really compete with Buick right now. So so if we agree that Lincoln can't compete with Buick, then why does Black Label exist? I don't know. It's it's supposed to be that killer app, that one thing that Lincoln can do that the those other those other two certainly don't offer these this kind of. But I don't experience. think I don't think the customer who's cross shopping a Buick with a Lincoln is looking for that experience, and I don't think there's I certainly don't think they're looking to spend a huge amount of money to get that experience. I I just that's what blo- that's what just puzzles me about Black Label. It's I don't I don't understand who the customer is, and I don't understand. I I would think that the customer who has Black Label levels of money doesn't doesn't give Lincoln the brand recognition required to spend that money in that dealership. They would go to Audi. They would go to someone else. They would go almost anywhere else (laughs) because Lincoln is a company that's had a huge identity problem for a long time, regardless of how good the vehicles have been. And there have been some bright spots. I think that they've lost a lot of brand equity 
and it's, it's it makes it really hard for programs like that to to find a home. I, I mean, I could just you know I don't have the sales statistics for Black Label. I don't know how profitable it is or how well they're doing with it, but it just in my mind it seems like a misstep. I think they need to focus on product, and I think the Continental is a is a you know and the MKC are both examples of them focusing on product and doing it correctly. Interesting. Um, I want you to um, find, find sum up this Lincoln conversation with one more. Uh, piece of information. Do you rec- do you remember or do you have a good idea of when the last fantastic, um, and I mean like world class Lincoln was and what it could have been, what year it was? What do you mean by world class? Well, a, a great car, the car that really like put the 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 brand on on the map. I think hit, that hit me up with a great Lincoln. Okay, well I I owned a Mark Eight. And what year was Lincoln Mark 8. It was a 1990, mine was a 94, but the Mark 8 was made from 93 to 98. And you got a almost 300 horsepower V8 engine, 32 valve Intec engine. It was the same engine they put in the Ford, the Mustang Cobra later on, but it started off in the Lincoln. You got a self-leveling air suspension. You had a beautifully styled uh, coupe body. It was fairly luxurious for the time, and it was quick. Um, rear-wheel drive. And the reason it doesn't exist now is because SUVs killed off personal luxury. So all those big coupes from the 90s were killed. Eldorado, the uh, SC from Lexus, all, all that stuff's gone. Uh, but I think that that was the last car from Lincoln that was in- interesting to drive um, and was competitive in its segment without necessarily having to you know, say yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And I think an interesting, uh, another interesting car they built shortly after that was the Lincoln LS, the, the Ford or sedan they manufactured with a, um, a manual transmission option and a V8 option. It was the same platform, I think, uh, DEW98, is that, is that what they called for the, the Thunderbird and all that? It used that uh, 3.9 liter V8 that was available at the time. And that was the last driver's car that Lincoln ever built. Um, past that, it was it was a lot of rebadging throughout the night throughout the 2000s, and um, I think that the, the 2000s after the the millennium, I think is really when Lincoln lost its way, and uh, it's you know that 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 would be my answer to that question. I'm sure there are a lot of people who disagree with me and say you'd have to go back to the 60s to find. A significant I, I, I'm going to say the same thing. I'm going to say that the Lincoln Mark III and Mark II were these really gorgeous, slick, big coupes. Um, and I would love to take a, a time machine back there. And uh, I was wondering, uh, what type of time machine would you take to back to the six, back to the sixties and seventies? Wait, what, what do you mean, like type of time machine, like other than a DeLorean? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, forget the DeLorean. The DeLorean's, uh, it's old school. It's ancient. It's not. Uh, so if I was going to build a time machine yeah, today, what would it be built on? Well, how far back are we going? How far back into the past are we going, or how far, how old does this time machine have? To how be? far back into the past are we going? As far as you want to go. Okay, well, so here's the thing: if we're going back into the past, to the point where dinosaurs are are going to become an issue, yes, then I need something that can handle dinosaurs. <laughs> so I'm probably going to want some kind of like militarized truck, oh, like maybe one yeah. of those Navistar, you know, those Navistar pickups mm-hmm. that look like a big rig but have like a truck bed. Yeah. Maybe something like that, or maybe a Unimog. Yeah, I'm going to say Unimog. I want a Unimog with, like, crazy portal axles. Are you crazy? And, uh, you don't want a Mercedes in the prehistoric era? The the the, the reliability will, will kill you, will murder okay. you. Okay, I want a Pinsgauer with portal axles. What is a pin? You're just making things up. Can I finish? Can I finish? And a temporal displacement system installed under the passenger seat. Um... 
boom, time machine. I won't. I don't exactly know what a temporal. What? I'm sorry. What now? Is that a time travel thing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that a time travel thing? Yes, it's a time. That's what we're talking about. Right. Perfect. Um, so, what do you want to drive when the not? dinosaurs are chasing you? What do you, What do you want? I want. A, I want something a little bit quicker than a than a Unimog or or anything like that. I mean, well, we didn't even talk about the drivetrain in my Pinscour, but I mean, if you want to like trash talk it right now, go ahead. But um, and, and and you know what? The other thing is, well, I don't want to go all the way to the dinosaur. I don't want to pet a dino. They're 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 not that pretty. They look kind. I'm not. They look I'm kinda, not petting them. What are you doing over there? What are you? I'm going to create so a better society. I'm going to create a better society that obviates the need for humanity. But then you won't have the. T- won't you negate the, your entire existence by doing that? That's the risk I'm willing to take. That sounds. That sounds dangerous. Um, Everything about time travel to the dinosaur era sounds dangerous to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not. The, I mean, I just want to go. I mean, I'm worried that I'm going to end up interfering with my own timeline by like hanging out with my folks or something. Oh, don't worry. I'll have interfered with your timeline far be up, far before that becomes an issue. <laughs> oh, not if I go to your timeline and interfere with your timeline first. Have you thought about that? I have, and I've prepared for it. So. Oh, what? Have at it. Have at it, and see where it gets you. Well, I would show up. Pinsgauer's everywhere. That's where it gets you. <laughs> Is there one across the street from you right now? Was there one part across the street when you were growing up, Sammy? Isn't that suspicious? It was. Isn't now, it a that little weird? now that you mention it, I am a little freaked out. Um, can you can you dial it back a little bit? Holy cow! But come on, the DeLorean was significant because it showed up. Uh, it, it inspired a whole generation of cars with uh, with um, uh, with bo- with gullwing doors, you know. <laughs> And you need, no, to, you need to do that. You need to do that when you show up in the past with a badass car. 300 SL inspired everyone to have gullwing doors. That's true. See, I would go back in the past in a 300 SL. That would be my. Oh, I can't take an. I can't take an old car. I'd have to make it right now because 300 SLs are quite expensive. Oh, and your time machine is somehow super affordable. We're gonna go to the dollar store and get some time machine parts. Come on, man. I should start I assume... with it. No, the most expensive part of a time machine is probably the time machine equipment, the time travel equipment. So I would have yes, to start with exactly. a very affordable vehicle, like the Mitsubishi Mirage, or I or thought a money Mirage. was. I thought I... money was no object in this. In this, uh, good good luck getting Mitsubishi to honor your warranty in <laughs> My... minus five thousand BC or wherever the hell it is you end up. Well, I mean, you think about it. Maybe you could you can you you can start with the Mirage, which is a nice affordable no, ten thousand dollar car. If I'm time traveling, time travel, I... get your make your money. You know, knowing what happens back then, and of course inflation and all that great wonderful stuff, because money back then was apparently worth more than it is now. And you can come back and you can spruce up and make your uh, your badass Unimog. I don't know about the Unimog. I mean, I'm thinking. I don't know about time traveling in a Mitsubishi that's probably not even waterproof, let alone timeproof. I don't want to be like back in the past in a Mirage, man. Come on. You are you're you're definitely under under uh, underestimating Mitsubishi. Remember, they make spaceships and uh, and uh, airplanes. Well, they don't sell them in their dealerships in North America. They well, they can't honor the warranty on those. Did I say Mitsubishi Mirage? That's my final answer. I'll meet you. I'll meet you with a wow. era in a Mitsubishi Well, I guess Mirage. we'll never know how your trip went because you're not coming back. <laughs> what are you talking about? I go. I go back in time. I'll be able to find all sorts of materials for my car. No problem. The, if you go back in time, you'll probably be able to find the engine for your car. Exactly. Brand new. There you go. That's my problem. That's that's the biggest worrying problem. Isn't that what happened in all, the, all of the Back to the Future movies? Did I mention that my Pinsgauer is electric because there's solar energy in the past, but there's no gasoline because the dinosaurs are still alive? 
All right, all right. So I think uh, I think maybe you might have this one on us, but maybe uh, maybe our listeners might uh, be able to chime in about our ideas. I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a very practical <coughs> time traveler, and I do think my idea of an affordable car, as opposed to something that seems to be unreliable. The DeLorean is unreliable. It's expensive. I think the words practical time traveler are absurd at best. No, no. And that thing's got fold-down rear seats. You can fit all sorts of, uh, all sorts of you know, dinosaurs or whatever the hell you want to bring back from the past. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Well, if if you want to get uh, get involved in this in, insane conversation about time travel, you can always do that by hitting us up online. Um, you can go to uh, my Twitter address is at hunting Benjamin, and uh, Sammy's is at Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing, and that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. You can also go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com if you want to uh, check out past podcasts. Or subscribe. Uh, you can subscribe at iTunes and Google Play as well. I think Sammy, isn't that correct? That is correct. And listeners can also check us out and like us on our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com/slash Unnamed Automotive Podcast. And um, they can also reach out to us uh, via email. You you love to see emails, listener emails, don't you, Ben? That's right. It's uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I don't prefer emails. I prefer Twitter. Uh, keep all of your keep all of your comments on 140 com- uh, characters or less. Um, and that's that's it. We have uh, another another one wonderful podcast this week, and uh, another one coming up next week. What do you what do you have in store next week, Ben? Um, I'll be able to talk about the. Um... 2017 Acura MDX Sport Hybrid that I drove this week, but can't currently discuss because of an embargo. And I'll also talk about. Whew, I don't know what I'll talk about. I'll find something else to talk about. How about that? Uh, I think I think that's fantastic. How exciting is that? <laughs> Turn in next week when Ben will talk about something. <laughs> yes, isn't that what people are always tuning in for? Uh, I They're myself, super I myself have a, a, a very weird um, vehicle. It's the Lexus IS, which is a which is a very which actually is a pretty cool car, but this trim level is the IS300 all-wheel drive, which is a new trim level for uh, 2017, which features a 3.5-liter V6. So I can't wait to tell you all about that. Don't spoil it. Okay. <laughs> so thanks so for again, listening, everybody, and uh, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>